Father, Son, and Spirit, we come before you, and we offer our entire selves to you, wanting to learn from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In the 2018 book, The Coddling of the American Mind, the authors Greg and John begin with a fictional story of traveling to Greece to meet some wise sage at the top of a mountain. They're wanting to write a book about, quote, wisdom for teenagers, young adults, parents, and educators. They get to the top of this mountain, and there sits what looks like to be the epitome of wisdom. They approach this wise old sage and ask him for what wisdom he would have for young people and for their educators. He opens his mouth and says this, quote, What doesn't kill you makes you weaker. So avoid pain, avoid discomfort, and avoid all potentially bad experiences. He goes on to share two more pieces of advice with the guys that they are also uh, not expecting to hear. Now, this story that they open up their book with uh, didn't actually happen, but it's true, if you know what I mean. The point is this, we are living in a world that is preaching a message that has made us believe a lie about our lives and a lie about the world around us. A message that is, quote, coddled the American mind. What doesn't kill you makes you weaker. Many of us, okay, not all of us, I want to recognize that this morning, but many of us have grown up in a time and a place of comfort, convenience, and ease. And this isn't inherently a bad thing, but I think it has formed us to believe that life should then be comfortable, convenient, and easy. And therefore, when it's not, we become confused, we become disillusioned and crushed at the reality of our difficult life. I'm not sure who said it first, but someone once said, quote, reality is what you run into when you're wrong. Simply put, we don't like suffering. We don't like hardship. We don't like trials. We don't like many things that make us uncomfortable. Unless, of course, you're someone who enjoys running marathons or taking cold showers, um, then you may just may have other issues that need to be dealt with. But most of us do whatever we can to avoid suffering. We do believe that what doesn't kill us does, in fact, make us weaker. Instead of believing that what doesn't kill us, to a certain extent, does indeed make us stronger. There are many reasons for this, and a lot of them come back to the cultural waters that we swim in. First, the American dream, which for sure has its upsides, okay, but that promises life, happiness, and the freedom to be whatever you want, which is not true. Or the gospel of upward mobility, as it's been called, that encourages us to look at our life as up and to the right, continual progress in all areas of life. Or even the rise in the Buddhism worldview that loosely says suffering is meant to be graduated out of. Suffering may have a purpose, but you can receive enlightenment to be done with it. These are the messages we see uh, and we receive through, through movies, through certain inspirational speakers, 
and my favorite thing in the entire world today through social media. The problem with all of this is that they're wrong and that life is actually difficult. Life is full of trials. Life is full of suffering. And you may be mature enough to realize that And you may even be mature enough to see the joy in suffering because you know what it will produce on the other side. But to take it a step further, today we're not only talking about suffering. Today we're talking about suffering for the sake of another. And not just suffering for the sake of another, but willingly choosing to suffer for the sake of another. And this begins to sound like craziness for most people. You may be here this morning and you may say, yeah, I'll suffer if I have to. And maybe it will, be, it will make me a better person. But I rarely, willingly choose to suffer for someone else. Maybe my spouse, maybe my child, maybe my aging parent, but most likely it will stop there. But that's our text today. We're going to look at Paul. A man who was suffering for the sake of another. And not just any other, but a group of people whom he had never actually met. So please remember this this morning, and it's on the screen. We are called to suffer for the sake of another. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. I believe it's page 983 in the Black Pew Bible in front of you. And as you turn there, remember, we are walking through the book of Colossians together. Our overall summary statement for this series is surrender to Christ who is king over all creation. And this morning as we look at this text, I hope that we believe that to be true. And then we live it out like Paul did for the church at Colossae. So Colossians chapter 1 verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his mystery, which is, get this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of his wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, Yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. In this section, we see words like like struggle, 
struggling, toil, suffering. Um, And first, before we really unpack this, I want to define suffering for you, and specifically define suffering for the sake of another. I'm going to define it like this. Suffering for the sake of another is taking your resources, okay, your time, your money, your property, your emotional and and mental capacity, um, and, and many other things, taking those resources and using them to benefit someone else at the expense of yourself. And this doesn't mean, okay, hear me correctly this morning, this doesn't mean that all we have is available to everyone all the time. But I do think for many of us, including myself, okay, I'm preaching as someone who has much to learn about all of this, and some of you know that to be true. I think for many of us, God may be asking us to live more open-handedly than we are currently. And the question is, why did Paul choose to do this? Why did Paul choose to live this way? Two primary reasons according to this text, and they're in your bulletin as well. First is the mystery. The mystery. We see this word used three different times in this passage. Okay, and when you think mystery, don't think Professor Plum in the billiard room with a candlestick. Okay, think of, of the revealing of God's plan from the beginning to bring in both Jew and and Gentile into the family of God through Jesus Christ. The mystery is that because of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, ascension, and promised return, everyone has the opportunity to be reconciled to God and to be reconciled to one another. And not only that, but according to 127, the mystery is also, quote, Christ in us, The hope of glory. Christ actually dwells inside of us, we believe, by his spirit. This is the beautiful mystery that God has invited Paul to proclaim. And as we know, if you've read Acts, it has caused him suffering to the point of being imprisoned and then eventually beheaded in Rome. I do want to point out briefly uh, and briefly mention verse 24. Okay, look at verse 24 because many of us may have questions. Paul writes this. He said, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. All right, Paul rejoices in his sufferings. We can understand that, all right? But then he says, And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. What, is, what does that mean? Here's, here's my understanding of this verse, okay? Christ's afflictions are not lacking. Let me say that again. Christ's afflictions are not lacking, but instead it is the fruit of his afflictions that are lacking. Meaning, there are more people to come into the body of Christ through the preaching of the gospel, And therefore, there are afflictions and sufferings for his people still to be had in order to make this happen. This is all a part of the mystery. More and more people, specifically Gentiles, are to come into the family of God. And so therefore, Paul can find joy in his sufferings because his sufferings are for the sake of another for the sake of others receiving the grace of God. I believe this is the mystery that Paul writes about. Secondly, 
Paul suffers for the sake of their maturity. Okay, maturity. If you look at chapter 1, verse 28, he writes this, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. When it comes to maturity, Paul mentions two concepts, okay? Unity and understanding. First, unity in chapter 2, verse 2. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. I've said it before and I'll, I'll say it again this morning. One of our greatest witnesses to a lost, to a divided and to a broken world is for the church to be united in Christ. Not perfectly uniform, okay? Thinking and believing um, all the same thing about every little issue, but instead united like a healthy family. A healthy of stress and conflict at times, but at the end of the day, a family of deep love, care, and concern, and union with one another under Christ. This is what it looks like to mature through unity. Secondly, maturity through understanding. The second half of verse 2 reads this, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. And then in verse 4, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. I don't think I have to tell you this, but we live in a time where there is a war on ideology. A time where truth is relative, which makes no sense. And it saddens my heart to see people swept up into the promise of liberation and satisfaction through secular progressivism that then leads them to emptiness, despair, and a feeling of hopelessness. It also saddens my heart to see people get swept up into the promise of power and control through secular conservatism that then leads to fear, anger, and a compromising of morality. There will always be plausible arguments. They just take a different form depending on the time and the place. We have to be on our guard to stand for truth. And not the truth from your favorite cable news outlet. Not truth from your favorite social media influencer. But to stand for Jesus. Who is the way, the truth, and the life. To stand for truth with a capital T that is a person. A recent study revealed that for young adult Christians today, every 20 hours of content that is consumed by them, only one hour of it is explicitly Christian. The study had nothing to say about older generations, but I'm sure that it's not that far different 
for them either. The Spirit wants to renew our minds. And we have a part to play in that. We have to partner with him in this process to experience this maturity in Christ that Paul is talking about. Paul suffers for the sake of another so that they may know truth and then stand for the truth. He suffers for the mystery of Christ and for the maturity of Christ's body. Sorry to get really serious on you there. But all of that is true, okay? And those are the reasons that Paul suffered. However, underneath all of those reasons is something so much deeper. Paul suffered for the sake of another because Jesus suffered for the sake of another. In Matthew 20, 28, Matthew writes, Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. While I began to work on my sermon last week, Doug stopped in my office, and at the end of our conversation, he offered to pray for me as I prepared for this morning, and um, in his prayer, he used the word wonder. And after that, I could not stop thinking about the wonder of Christ's sufferings. Something that I know for sure I take for granted all too often. It's just become numb. That God the Son, existing forever according to Colossians 1, willingly chose to become a baby in desperate need of his mother. To become a toddler who had to learn how to walk and then talk. To become a child and an adolescent and go through what we will call those awkward years. To become a teenager and embrace all that that means. To become an adult and work hard with his hands. And then, to reveal himself as the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Savior of the world. And because of that, be beaten, mocked, and killed. And I know all of us, or at least most of us, have heard this time and time again, but sit in the wonder of this question. Why would Jesus willingly choose to do that? Why? He did it for the glory of God, yes, first and foremost. But he did it for the sake of another. He did it for the sake of the world. And he did it for the sake of you. Jesus' sufferings are the perfect sacrifice for you to be one with God. And I hope you have trusted in that this morning. Jesus' sufferings have made us one with God. If you haven't trusted in that, please seek out a conversation with someone after this gathering. However, with that being said, in the same conversation of that message, you'll sometimes hear this this line, Jesus suffered so we didn't have to, right? And there is some truth in that for sure when it comes to the next life, right? But unfortunately, it's not completely true. Jesus suffered, and Jesus suffered well to show us how to suffer, 
and to suffer well. He famously said, pick up your cross, your instrument of torture and death, and follow me. To be a Christian is to welcome a life of suffering. It's just the way that it is. Now, there is some suffering that you have no business enduring, okay? There are times where you need to flee from suffering, like abuse and other things. But generally speaking, the Christian life is one, at the very least, of some suffering. And the sooner that we can accept that, the sooner we can experience the joy that Jesus has on offer. The joy that is experienced not by just following him, but as Paul wrote, by experiencing, quote, Christ in us, the hope of glory. So, where do we go from here? In summary, I believe, one, we live in a world that is allergic to suffering. Two, we see Paul willing to suffer for the sake of another because, number three, he follows Jesus, who suffered for the sake of the world. And so if I'm correct about any of these three, so what? Most likely, our uh, suffering won't include prison time like it did for Paul, but it doesn't mean we still don't have a part to play. And so from this text, I believe that we are uh, called to suffer for two types of people. Okay, first, and I think about the harvest time services this afternoon and evening. First, the people who need to put their faith in the mystery. Those who have not yet experienced God's redeeming mercy and grace. Who do you know who is not following Jesus yet? A family member? A coworker, a neighbor, a friend, invite them this afternoon. And not only invite them, but how can you suffer for the sake of them? Secondly, the people who need to experience maturation, okay, maturity. Those who are in Christ but not yet mature, which is all of us this morning who are in Christ. How can we suffer for one another? How can we have compassion towards one another? The word compassion literally means to suffer with. And so how can we suffer for the sake of those two type of people? I believe it has to start with our presence. Being with them physically. We can't suffer and have compassion on others from a distance. And so instead of of giving you examples of what this may look like in in our lives, which I originally planned to do, I just want to share a story with you. Okay? Most of you know this story. But there was a couple in Tremont who went to Northfield Christian Fellowship for years. And while we are not a perfect church, it was in many ways comfortable and convenient here for them. However, everything changed when they encountered the suffering and the reality of a couple hundred people living 40 minutes from here. And they willingly chose to leave Northfield and to make a church of about a dozen adults on a good Sunday and twice as many kids their home. And it has not been easy, and it hasn't come without stress, and it's obscure, and it's in the middle of nowhere, And it seems like a waste of time to many outside people. But they chose to suffer for the sake of another. So that men, women, and children can experience the mystery 
of God for the very first time. And for the few followers of Jesus who are out at Goofy Ridge, for them to experience maturity in Christ. And so I'm not sure what God is inviting you into this morning. Um, I think first and foremost, maybe it's a small inconvenience to your schedule this week. Or maybe it is a big life change. But let me warn you, living this way won't be flashy. It won't be earth-shattering. And instead, it will be inefficient and costly. But remember, the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. And the way of Jesus is countercultural. Tyler Staten, pastor um, on the West Coast, when preaching about sacrificial love and suffering for the sake of another, alludes to this, and he says this, and it's a long quote, I warn you. He says this, Sacrificial love is so inefficient. It makes no obvious impact. There's no splash. There's no immediate result. I can rarely measure the return on investment. Exactly like when Jesus got up from the table and picked up a towel and a water basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. No big splash, no immediate impact, very hard to measure the return on investment. And the next morning when he carried a cross on his back and let them nail him down to it, no big splash, no immediate impact, very hard to measure the return on investment in the few days that followed. But, as we sacrificially love others, we experience what Jesus described that makes no sense to our minds, but makes all the sense in the world to our experience. That as we sacrificially lay down our lives for others, we are filled with more and more of the life that we actually crave. As the years of your one brief life fade, what will matter most is not your work, your accomplishments, or reputation. All of that matters, but what will matter most is how you love the people you get to live your days alongside. All of our stories one day will get measured on the scale of love. To live this way may not seem worth it at first. Or it may feel like a waste of time. But in the long run, you'll realize it's the exact life you were created to live. John 15, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. It's been said that the ultimate definition of love is this, it's to will the good of another. And so if that's true, we are called to suffer, we are called to sacrifice, and we are called to lay down our lives for the sake of another. So to close, I have a very simple practical um, practice for you this week. Okay, I have written a prayer, and it's in your bulletin. Um, And it will also be on the screen. So if you don't have a bulletin, you want to pull out your phone and take a picture of it, go ahead. But at least one day, or at least once a day, pray this prayer. Okay? And then keep your eyes and your ears open to how God may be answering your prayer. This prayer, okay, I think is best uh, to pray as you leave your house to go drive somewhere. Or as you go on a walk or before you leave um, your school or your job. Pray this as you're out and about around other people. Okay, the prayer is simple and I'm going to close and pray it for us right now. Father, I confess my desire to avoid suffering and instead seek comfort and convenience. 
forgive me. Thank you for sending your son, the suffering servant, as our savior and as our example. I ask you to open my eyes and my ears to ways I can suffer and lay down my life for the sake of another. I love you. Amen.